0: Well, ZPC, it is a great gift to be able to be here and to serve as one of your pastors on this uh, exciting day of 40 years. I just want to say real quickly, I want to thank a few folks who have put a lot of work into this. You'll hear a little bit more details about where you can go right after uh, this worship service, but I do want to thank a few of our staff members. Sally Bias, who put together these videos and did a great job. Ashley Davidson-Lamb, who's done a lot of work, including this sign over here, which is uh, incredible. Pastor Scott Shelton and Lisa Price also. And then, uh, of course, um, I want to thank Stacy Nelson uh, and 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 Christy Ball, who also has done a lot of work on this, and many others. uh, But just it takes uh, a whole village to be able to uh, do something like this. But it has been a great gift to be able to be a part of this. So I'm not going to belabor and say too many other things other than we are going to take a brief one-week pause um, from the Gospel of Luke, uh, which we have been in for quite some time. We're just going to go two Gospels earlier to Matthew. Now, the good thing about this... um, Is that where we are in Matthew here, it's going to be chapter 16. This was, by the way, Pastor Stan Johnson's idea. Uh, So if you think I should have stayed with Luke, go talk to him. And um, it's great because it actually occurs right at the same moment, right, right around the same time as where we are in Luke. Basically, you have uh, a Jesus who is just about to move toward Jerusalem, towards his death and his sacrifice. And so as we've been saying so often in Luke, this is a time when all of a sudden the pressure is beginning to grow. And Jesus is saying, okay, to whom am I leaving this kingdom of God? And what is that going to look like? Like And so that's where we are right here at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. So I invite you to hear these words. Matthew writes this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, on this day we gather and we give you praise. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So here it sees Jesus is wanting to gauge the crowds and to gauge the disciples. He's wanting to know what have they learned. And so he says to the disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others would say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah. And others just, you know, one of the prophets of old. One of the things I love about this answer is as N.T. Wright reflects on it, he says, what's fascinating is that there, there is no sense of this being Jesus meek and mild. That what the crowds thought was that Jesus was like one of those wild prophets, right? And in our time and culture, oftentimes we can get so used to Jesus as my friend and Jesus meek and mild. And certainly there is truth in that. But it's really insightful for us to be able to realize that the way Jesus was being experienced by those in the crowds was that he was this person who could not be controlled. He was clearly other than them. Now it seems that perhaps this is actually just the warm-up question. Because immediately Jesus then looks at them and he says, But who do you say That I am. Now it's important to understand that in the Greek, there's this emphasis on you. The you is really kind of emphasized who do you and that it's in the plural. So really, it is who do y'all, who do you all say that I am? This is this remarkably intimate question. And I think it's really important that we understand the weightiness of it. Here is Jesus. He has been with them for so long, and he is wondering, are they getting it? I am going to be leaving soon. Do they understand finally who I am? Have they learned anything? And Peter, of course, Peter, what does he do? He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living god and i love jesus looks at him and says blessed are you simon son of jonah now i want to make sure that we are fully getting the excitement and the relief of jesus Earlier this week, I was on a Zoom call um, with the Jewish Day School in Denver. I have a friend who's a teacher there. And so he said, hey, um, you know, I would love for you to talk to my high school students on Zoom uh, about Christianity, about Presbyterianism, maybe even about what it's like to be a pastor. I said, sure, I'd love to do that. Not a problem. It's only going to be about 30 minutes. It was the longest 30 minutes of my life. I don't know when the last time was that you were in high school. But even via Zoom, I could see how much they wanted to be there, absolutely zero, right? High schoolers are great at both looking bored and wanting to make sure you know how bored they are. Right? So they're resting on their, their arms. Uh, two of them had AirPods. They were listening to the same one. And I knew that because they were both kind of dancing in the same way. This is absolutely true. Uh, uh, several of them in the middle of this just got up and kind of walked out. And I mean, it was, it was the longest 30 minutes of my life. And I'll, when I got down, I said, oh, thank God I do not teach high schoolers, right? It's brutal. And then I remembered my junior year for English, I had Miss Edwards, and I was just like this, right? I wanted to make sure that everybody knew that I didn't care about learning. And uh, I know Zionsville was a little different than that in some ways, but my school, we, you know, it was cool to just hate everything and think everything was just boring. And this was English. I really liked doing it in English because there they always wanted to talk about these great novels and symbolism and all this stuff. It was so pretentious, So we're reading The Great Gatsby, and I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, I got to do this report on it. Oh, this is so lame. But then I stumbled, and I mean stumbled. It was pure luck on this piece of symbolism that I see. And then I I keep seeing it kind of throughout. And and, and I thought, okay, fine, I'll write on this. So I kind of wrote this paper on it because it was literally back then you were just writing it out. And I did it. And here's what I remember. Almost three decades later, Miss Edwards. She read it there at her desk, right? We turned it in, she was reading it, and she came over to me. And she was more excited than I can ever remember seeing anyone else. And she was like, the symbolism, this is amazing. I felt like she was going to start weeping. Now, here's what I didn't realize. A, let's be clear. This was pure dumb luck. I had no idea what I was doing. But here's what I know. Miss Edwards, for the first time in probably quite some while, thought, wow, what I am doing actually makes a difference. Somebody's learned something. And you could just see her pure joy and surprise. I think Jesus is Miss Edwards here. Because you know what? These disciples are constantly messing up, constantly getting things wrong. And all of a sudden, Simon says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You could just feel the excitement and the joy. And Then he goes on to say, this great kind of tension that we in the Reformed, the Presbyterian Church love, which is that flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. In other words, this is great, and I love it that you recognize this, but let's always remember that it begins with God. That without this, without God, you would never have had this revealed to you. And then immediately, after he sees that they're beginning to understand who he is, then he begins to move to the church. And he looks at him and says, you are, you are rock now. And, and let's be clear, Peter, right? Peter is a word, you know, we know Peter. It's a very common. It was not common then at all. It would have stood out. This was kind of a weird name. And he said, you are Peter, right? And on, you know, and on this rock, I will build my Church. Now, there's been lots of debate over the years about what that means. Lots of fighting between Roman Catholics and, and folks like Presbyterians about what it means that Peter's the rock. We're not going to go into all of that because it's not the Roman Catholics' 40th anniversary. It's ours. They're like on, I don't know, 2,000-something. Who cares? Forty. But what is really significant about this that we cannot look past is this. What it says there is Jesus says, and I will build my church on you. I, in other words, this is ultimately has very little to do with Peter or the rock and everything to do with Jesus. Jesus. At the end of the day, the church will thrive and flourish or it will fail miserably based on their understanding of who it is that is building the church. And Jesus says, I am building this church. And then he goes on to say, and I'm giving you the keys of heaven, the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bound on earth will be bound In heaven. What I love about this is there is this really thin line here between heaven and earth. What Tom Long suggests is what this should help us to understand is what we are doing is not just, quote, playing. Church, when we gather together, when we are sent out, we are not just doing something that is polite. We are not just doing something that is nice or enduring. No, what this line tells us, what it reminds us of is this fact that when we are doing this, we are living into who God is. That in those moments when we are doing what Jesus has called us to do, it is like heaven is breaking into this world right here and right now. But let's be honest, it does not always feel like that. Sometimes it just feels like church. You know, maybe you wake up on Sunday morning and you decide, all right, fine, I'm feeling bad, you know, we've just been you know, we've not been coming. We're going to go. so you decide to go and you go on this particular Sunday morning and, and, and then you see somebody and you see somebody you don't really like. And you see somebody who on the one hand, you're like, this is the last place that person should be. This person is not holy at all. And then you're also like, well, maybe it's the first place this person should be. I don't know. But mostly you don't really want to be around this person. And you are and you come in, you say, well, at least it's going to be a little bit better because I'm going to grab a donut or two. And you go over and you grab the donuts and maybe it's a hot day. So the donuts kind of melted a little bit this happens they're a little melted. you say oh well at least I'll get some coffee you get some coffee and sometimes it's more there are more grounds than there are at Starbucks. Well guess what? It's a lot cheaper so just deal with it. So we get this can we get this coffee right and then you come in and when you come in you hear the music and all oh, this music it's not that your cup of tea right it's either too loud or it's too lame or whatever it is and you're like oh then you hear a sermon and oh geez Jerry just making this trying to make us feel guilty again and you don't really like it and then you say you know what okay fine they keep saying I should volunteer I'm gonna go help out with the middle school or the high schooler but then you go in there and they all look like they are Bored. exactly right, and like the last thing they want is to listen to you, and so you're like, "Oh gee, whiz, and then you try to get into a, a home group and you go, and everyone 's in the same rat race, and nothing's better, and man, their house is a lot better than yours and and you just think, "Oh, and then you come okay wait there's this moment of silence, and you love the moment of silence, maybe it's the first time you 've been quiet all week, but then all of a sudden you realize how tired you are, or maybe you begin to you begin to realize, oh there's so much more to do until you begin to fill that Vacuum, and then finally we have communion, and you think, okay, good, I get to have communion. I need to have this, this reminder, this palpable reminder of God's grace. And then you come down, and it's been a particularly humid Sunday, and you can't get the cup out of the tray. <laughs> and you think, why is grace got to be so difficult? The truth is this easily, church can feel more human than heaven more drudgery than deity, more humdrum than holy. Which is why it is so incredibly important that we take breaks and pauses like today in order to look back, as we already have in so many ways, at who ZPC has been over these 40 years Years and the impact that all of these ordinary humdrum kind of acts have done in order to help to create a space where again and again, if you have the patience to look back, you begin to see how heaven has broken into our earth. As I was thinking about this particular Sunday and thinking about What does it mean to be the church? I went back to 1995. 1995. I spent a semester in Washington, D.C., and I was given this particular book. Uh, I've brought it up before. It's called uh, The Gospel in a Pluralist Society. It sounds like a real snoozer, and I thought it was going to be. And so I thought, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. But as I began to read it, it was by Leslie Newbigin. And again, I brought him up before, an Anglican priest. or Anglican, uh, And he went over to India uh, for 40 years, interestingly enough. And when he came back to England, he realized that everything had changed. And that if the church was going to do anything, if it was going to have any kind of impact, it was going to have to begin to look different. Now, this was written, published at least in 1989, just a few years after ZPC was founded. And as I began to read this book, it is really kind of, it began almost a decade journey for me where I said, okay, I want to be a pastor because I loved the ways that he described church. And and the quote that I've used from him is that the greatest hermeneutic of the gospel, the best way for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus, for who Jesus is as the Messiah, as the son of the living God, the greatest way for people to be able to learn that is a community of faith, a church who actually believes It and who lives it out. And so I began to look at this more and more closely, and I loved how he described it. And so I went back and I started looking at that earlier as I was anticipating today. And New Begins has these six characteristics. I wish it was just three, but English folks have a longer attention span. So bear with me, it's more than just three, but it won't take that long. And these are six characteristics. He said, this is what will be helpful in terms of our ability to continue to have an influence for Jesus Christ, to be a witness to who God is. Number one, he said, it must be a community of praise. Now, Peter, of course, as he's there, what does he do? Peter says, you are the son of the living God. This is what kind of begins praise. It is the sense of remembering who God is and who we are not. And this is what Peter begins to understand. And so one of the most important things is that we begin to understand that everything that we are is centered on Jesus Christ, not on us. I love, um, you know, every... Uh, well, about every three or four months, we do an inquirer's class. So uh, we've done this um, now for about, uh, I guess, 10 years, since, we, since I've been here, almost 10 years. And, and so one of the questions we always ask inquirers, many of you have answered this, is what drew you to ZPC? And by this point, Pastor Scott, Megan, my wife, and I have heard each other's stories so much, right, that we just, I mean, we kind of zone out. But then sometimes we try to do different things, like this last one last weekend, basically each of us tried to answer the other ones, right, and, and tried to act like I tried to act like I was Scott, Scott started acting like he was Megan it was, it was just to try to keep things lively but I know for sure what Scott, Pastor Scott talks about and here's what Pastor Scott talks about well first of all you should know that in January Pastor Scott will be celebrating 30 years here at ZPC you gotta hold on for three more months you got this So Pastor Scott, he always goes back all the way to the beginning, the early 90s, right? And he goes back and he says, well, here's here's why I've been drawn to ZPC. He said, I would go through all these different church information forms, right? They're looking for pastors and they would describe their church. Uh, And so he said, you know, so I would go back and I would go through all of those. And now what he also always begins with is he says this, there was on the pastor nominating committee, a particular single lady. (laughs) This is true. Uh, one Claire, now Shelton. And so uh, all of a sudden, right, this kind of worked out. Now, you know, today that probably wouldn't be allowable. Early 90s, they let things go like that. So, <laughs> but he says, as I was looking through those information forms, he says, here's what I discovered, that ZPCs was constantly talking about Jesus. He said that as I kept reading it, it was just kind of everywhere. It was laced with Jesus. He said, you, you might be surprised this isn't always the case. And he says it's always was going back to Jesus all the way from the beginning. This has been a church that has been based on Jesus. And what I wanted to just say as a quick aside is this, is that that is an absolute gift and a necessity because as you know, there are a lot of things that can distract us. There's a lot of people who say, you should talk about this. We should do that. Why are we doing these things? There are Lots of things that can easily distract us. And we see many churches who get caught going left or right in this distraction. But what ZPC has said from the very beginning and what we must continue to say is that at the end of the day, we will always be based on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And what Newbigin goes on to say is that what you will see is a body like that is a body that is full of Gratitude. And I love this because why is that? Because when you know that God is God and you are not, you know everything you have is a gift. And this is one of the beautiful things is you kind of hear all the different stories. What you know is that from the very beginning, this has been a church that has been full of gratitude. And we see it in the generosity of people and their their time and their talents and and their wealth. I mean, all of these things that people give. You know, I love kind of hearing, uh, I would oftentimes listen to Pete Hudson and he would tell me all of these great stories. It's funny that one of the very first kind of the key person to ZPC's name was Peter. Now his first name I know was Hosea Peter. He had Old Testament and New Testament taken out. I mean, there was no way he was not going to be godly. And so you had this guy who had this remarkable life, right? And he was the one who was always telling me about how they would go door to door and knock on people, people's door. We talked about this to get people in. And, and he gave up all of this abundant amount of time. And I love the story. Loretta Bowser tells me this story a little while back. Her husband David, who was also a big part of this, how they went to the bank to open up their very first ZPC bank account. You know, uh, lo, these many years ago. And they got there and, and, and Pete and David were there and, and, and they opened up the account. And then the bank Uh, The banker said, okay, well, you know, in order to open up an account, you've got to actually have some money in it. And so they looked at each other, if I recall correctly, and they each got out their wallets and they looked and they each got out a $5 bill and they gave it to him. And you think about how that began. Last year, we gave away, I think it is over $600,000. And you think, you know how this began? It was with two people who gave $5 each. See, this is the beauty of understanding how things begin in such an ordinary way. And yet when you give God praise and when you are built on Jesus, there is this gratitude, this generosity that begins to bubble up. The second thing that Newbigin says, there's a second characteristic. It has to be a community that does not live for itself, but is deeply involved in the concerns of its neighborhood. This, of course, we definitely see throughout, uh, throughout the life of uh, Jesus as he's talking about the fact that they need to love God and that they love neighbor. And it is one of the great gifts of being a part of this particular body. All I have to do, uh, um, um, Sharon shared this already with the food pantry. The food pantry, that's this remarkable gift, right? The importance of the neighborhood. But you know, of course, that where did it begin? In a closet. Just in an ordinary closet. You have one at home. This is how these things begin. It was in a closet, then it was in a classroom, then it was a couple classrooms, then it was three classrooms and then slowly but surely it began to work its way out. right. think about the fact of Ronnie Jordan. What a great gift Ronnie Jordan has been to us at the Jeremiah house and then we got to be able to kind of, you know, break in or christen, I don't know what the right word, dedicate his new house, his Habitat house, which is a remarkable house and so many of you were there as a part of it and it began with simply an idea of something. And of course, one of the great things about ZPC is it's never just been about the neighborhood, right? I shared this at the property meeting. We've thought, okay, we have to be involved even in more things, right? So just a couple of years uh, after ZPC's founding, you know, you have this picture here that I think is really important for us to see, Glenn. (laughs) Do you want to come back up and say anything about that? Are you good? Yeah, I made sure that I made sure this came up after your talk. And so but this is great, right? It was built in, right? What they were going to do. They were immediately going to go out. They were gonna go out. I believe this was to Colorado. They were gonna go out and to spread this good news. And then uh, I just got an email a couple weeks ago about a great banquet. We started, we went out to Brazil. We began a great banquet in Brazil. Many ZPCers have done that. And here's a picture. This is great. This is a couple of weekends ago. Um, and, and you see all of these women there. And there's actually three or four ZPCers in there as well. And, and there's this remarkable that it began, right? This is what I want you to understand. It began with two people from Kentucky, Randy and Betty Sue LaFoon. And they started, they came here and said, we should go down to Kentucky. And that happened. And they went down to Kentucky. And then they came back and they started it here. And they began to plant great banquet after great banquet after great banquet. And one of the great good news about that is it. Jesus can work through Randy LaFoon. Jesus can work through anyone. And it's an incredible gift, right? And 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 so and they're not done, right? I mean, we've got you know we've got Clint Foltz and and Pastor Stan Johnson, you know. I mean, what an odd coupling that is. And they're going to be going over to Uganda, where Stan's going to be you know teaching all of these pastors who will then go out. And how did that get started? Well, it got started when I think it was Scott Nolan heard about this ministry over there. All of these things get started in these small, mundane way, but the humdrum turns into holiness when we have the eyes to look back and to see the fourth thing that newbegin says is that there has to be a community of mutual responsibility. What does that mean? That just basically means that it has to be a community where there is good relationships with one another. Remember this. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, who do you all say that I am? Not just singular. Who do you say as I am as a community? What does Newbigin say? Jesus did not write a book. Jesus formed a community. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He forms this community and we get to experience this. A lot of times we get to experience this, of course, in home groups we get to experience this in in small groups, and those things have been around forever. One of the remarkable things about being your pastor over the last uh, nine years or so is how many people have kind of, they, they come back, maybe they go elsewhere, and you know what they almost always say? They almost always say, it feels like coming home. Right? And that was a culture that has been here clearly from the beginning where there's a sense of relationship. You cannot do this walk of the Christian faith alone. And so ZPC has done a remarkable job over the years of making sure that they have done these things together. And I think a critical part of this is food. I love, Pastor Scott was in Egypt several months ago, and there were about 10 other churches that were there at this mission conference. And, 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 and so Scott tells me that, you know, as a part of that, each church got up and kind of said a little bit about themselves for about 10 minutes. And, uh, and, and Scott decided that he was going to show some of the video from our, uh, from our website. And, and after, the, after each one, a person shared, they said, okay, well, tell us, what, is that? What, did, what did you learn? They asked the people who were attending, what did you learn about this particular church? And one of the people responded, uh, there, there's a lot of food there. Um, and and another, another, uh, another person said, well, they like to eat. And I thought, well, these things are all true. But Eugene Peterson, you know I was going to bring them up. Eugene Peterson says this. He says, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that in the gospel of Luke, we should be seeing this. There is more, more than in any other gospel, he talks about being saved and about salvation. And also more in Luke than any other gospel, he talks about food and has stories with food in them. You see, what food does is it creates space. It creates a sense of hospitality where we then are able to engage and learn and love. And obviously from the beginning, as Craig told us, we have had a lot of food. And it is a gift to be able to be a part of a body that says, we do not want you just to come in on Sunday mornings and leave. We want to know you. The Fifth thing. It has to be a community of truth. Let's tell the truth about Peter. Look it up. Jesus says, you are the rock. Upon you I will build my church. Five verses later. Literally five verses later. Verse 23. Jesus says, you are Satan. Get behind me, Peter. And you are a stumbling block. Isn't that remarkable? All of a sudden, right? All of a sudden, Peter goes from here to here. And I love that Matthew shares it. Why? Because it is this reality that you know what? We will oftentimes look just like Peter, won't we? We will go through these times when we are flourishing and doing great. And we will go through these times where we are struggling. And if we're gonna be honest, of course, we can say, yeah, you know what? ZPC has had its struggles. Everything has not always been this upward trajectory. We have had times when we've done things wonderfully and times when we have struggled. But I think that is a gift because it has deepened us. It has made us humble. And it is a gift to the community around us. You know that I love to say that we are in a culture where everybody wants to hide their imperfections. And I think it is a gift to a community to be able to say this. No matter what you have done. No matter where you have come from. No matter what you have struggled with. As long as Jesus is at the center, there is always hope. And that is the very last thing that Newbigin says. It is a community of hope. You see, I think that ZPC has been a community of hope for these last 40 years. Whenever I would talk to Ed and Judy Nelson or Wanda or Loretta or Glenn or Pete, these people who have been here so long, when I asked them, can you just you know, tell me a little bit more about the history of ZPC. I loved it. They would almost always invariably kind of look off in the distance. And it's kind of like, you know, when you have that last piece of dessert and you're just like, I just want to savor it. And they would just kind of put it in their mouths and they would just savor it. And, you know, they would always go, you know, they'd be looking off and they they would bring up these things like going door to door. Or, uh, you know, or buying this real estate when the realtor said it was a dumb idea. Or, you know, bringing in showers, portable showers for the great banquet. Isn't that a nightmare? (laughs) And they would go back to all of these kind of very mundane things. And what I loved is that they almost always had this look of surprise. Surprise. And it's a surprise. It says, you know, when we opened that bank account for $10, right? When we called this pastor in, when we went door to door, <laughs> who would have known? Who could have known that that would have turned into this? Who could have known that when you get one rock and you build another rock and then another rock and then another rock, this thing that seemed just so humdrum all of a sudden became something remarkably holy. Who could have known? And they looked back like, ha ha, we got you. It was this sense, can you believe that Jesus did all of this? And you see, that's what I want us to remember on this day. That just as Pastor Glenn said a little bit ago, this sense of what are these next. 40 years that we are a community of hope, in a community that is desperate not to just be skeptical or cynical, who is searching for a relationship, who is searching for someone to tell them the truth, who is searching to know that they don't have to be God, who is searching desperate for hope, that we have this exact same message that has been there from the very beginning, that though in many ways it It may seem just humanly that when you begin to see through the right lens, you can see it as a piece of heaven. That just about the time you think, oh, maybe it's just drudgery, all of a sudden Jesus breaks in and you see the deity. That in that exact same moment when you think, oh, one more humdrum service, all of a sudden when you look back, you begin to see the holiness of Jesus Christ. And so my hope, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that this morning... As you go out and as you eat yet once again. (laughs) As you go out and you look at those pictures and you look at those, you know, you think about the videos, all those things. Here's what I want you to feel. I want you to feel Jesus coming up to you like Miss Edwards and saying, blessed are you, ZPC. Blessed are you. I can't believe it. I worked through you, and look at what you have done. Blessed are you. May we be a people of gratitude and praise to know what the Lord has done and that the Lord is not yet done. For God's glory and for God's glory alone. Amen? Amen. Amen.